You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is the feed on 1059 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. On the show, 42 animals at the Georgian Triangle Humane Society could really use your help. Details coming up. Also ahead, the Juno-nominated all-girl pop rock band Girl Power. But we begin with another local rising star. Music to our ears, Lincoln Haggard Ives and his mom, Maria Haggard, they join us on the feed here at 105.9 The Region. You're 13 years old. You play like you have been doing this for 40 years. Where did this talent come from, Lincoln? Um, well, I started playing the violin one month before my fourth birthday, and uh, and I've just been playing it since, like, so for almost 10 years, and... I've just gotten better over the those years and now I'm like I've gotten into Carnegie Hall to play and I am very very happy to be a part of the musical community and playing the violin makes me happy. You're the pride of Vaughn as is your mother. Uh let's talk about this exciting time for you. In June you will be playing Carnegie Hall. How did that come about? Um, so my mom, um, put me into a competition and I went to a studio to record it and then she submitted the video, the recording video to the competition and I won third place, which means I got to play at Carnegie Hall. Maria, was this a dream of, of his and a dream of yours as well? Well, a neighbor told us about it, and I thought that it would just be a great opportunity. Um, just in general, it's an opportunity, a great opportunity for children to actually experience Carnegie Hall um, in maybe a, a, a setting that isn't, uh, doesn't put as, as much pressure on them. So, um, yeah, so our neighbor told us about it, and I just submitted the video, and, yeah, it happened, and we're just really glad that Lincoln's going to have this opportunity. So let's go back in time. How did you know that Lincoln might be a good musician? Uh, Lincoln was always musical as a child, uh, very musical, actually. Um, he used to dance in his crib, and we would play music for him. And he would, I, I remember sometimes when we turned the music off, he would cry, like this sort of emotional connection to the music, which... I found was to be, you know, quite remarkable. Um, both my husband and I, we both love music as well. Um, music also develops the brain in a different way and helps with all sorts of um, cognitive development. So that's primarily why we put him in music. And they say music is the universal language. And obviously he spoke it very well and still does. Why the violin, Lincoln and Maria? How did you come to that decision? 
Uh, well, my mom said that it was a sizable instrument, and I'll grow into it. And uh, like it's unlike some other instruments, such as the piano. Um, and also just because I think the violin sounds better than the piano, <laughs> and it's more you can express yourself more on the violin. That's your opinion, right? <laughs> yeah. And what's your opinion? <laughs> um, I mean, I agree. I think you can express yourself on any instrument. Um, Lincoln's very good at expressing himself on the violin, so that's probably why he thinks that. I think that any instrument um, is of benefit to uh, child development. Um, we, yeah, he, it's exactly what he said. So we started him on the violin because it is a sizable instrument. Uh, he does play the piano as well, though, um, but... Um, we just thought that the violin, and it's a beautiful sounding instrument too. So It's elegant. It can allow you to express your emotions. Uh, I believe you have to have great intellect in order to play it the way you do. And you have to have dexterity. So all of these things combined. But do you like the violin? I Yes, I love the violin. I really like playing in front of people because it makes them like joyful and happy and makes me also joyful and happy and I enjoy uh, I don't enjoy practicing a lot <laughs> but I I love learning new pieces on the violin and branching out and just exploring different types of music do you think he's a prodigy um, I wouldn't you I don't like really to use that word prodigy mm -hmm. uh, he does practice I mean there are Kids who are six years old probably playing um, at the same level. I don't know how much they practice. Um, he does. Uh, he does have something called perfect pitch, though, um, so he can identify any note without a reference note being given. So that is uh, quite remarkable. It's pretty rare in itself. Um, he's uh, is he gifted in music? I would absolutely say so. Yes. Um, does he have to work at it in order to be able to achieve like the highest level? Yeah, he also has to work at it as well. So, so you did say you don't like to practice. So how do you convince yourself to do that? And and what do you say to yourself before each practice session? Well, I just I don't really say anything to myself. I just know that like practicing will get me um, more advanced in the violin and it will make me better. So I just go and I practice. Um, and I also, I do enjoy playing. It's just like when I can't get a section, I sometimes get frustrated with it. But after I practice it and I can get it, then I, I'm very happy and I, and like, I'm happy to be able to yeah. practice. I watched the two of you interact as you were preparing for this interview. And you have learned a lot about the violin through your son. And you're, obviously your son has embraced it as well. But the equipment and, and how to care for it, you know, that's a wonderful bond that, it has developed between the two of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And we yeah. practice together. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm sort of, I, I consider, I go to all of his lessons as well and I take notes. And um, I consider myself to be his coach. Um, and um, sometimes I'm just in the room to listen and to support. Other times I'm there to remind him to do things as well. You mean so. you're being a mom? Yeah, being a mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's uh, give me an example of a typical day for you, Lincoln. Um, so well, I get up and then I <laughs> I eat my breakfast and I go to and I go to school, <laughs> and then when I get home from school. I'll like just relax and do whatever I want for, for about an hour, and then when my mom comes home, you do your theory I, though sometimes. Yeah, theory. then I do my music theory, uh, and when my mom gets home, I go over what I did in school, and I did I do my homework, and then I practice. Uh, sometimes I don't have time to practice because there's a, a lot 
like there's so much homework to do because the teachers just give me a lot of homework <laughs> and <laughs> and then after I practice <laughs> I'll eat my dinner and then I'll just go to bed and yeah and sweet dreams of the violin <laughs> <laughs> and you're in French immersion yeah. so why did you decide that that was something that you wanted to uh, again we talk about language music is the universal language uh, French is a beautiful language um, well, I enjoy playing French a lot. Is uh, sorry, I enjoy speaking <laughs> French, French a lot because um, I enjoy speaking two different languages. And uh, uh, I was on this EC Radio Canada, um, so it's a French it's French radio interview. Did you speak entirely and, in French? Yeah. For, oh, fantastic! Yeah, for Fifteen minutes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That's just great. So let's talk about what's going to happen in June. What will you do between now and then to be ready for your time on the stage at Carnegie Hall? So I'm going to practice the piece um, like over and over and over again until it's like perfect. <laughs> and I'm going to try to make it sound the best that it can be. And I'm also going to just take some deep breaths and try not to be anxious for when I do perform and be nervous as well and um yeah i'm just gonna try my best and good are you going to try to put something of you into it now it's a piece called chartish will you be able to put the lincoln stamp on it yeah I will. how how do you do that i just like i just sort of focus on what i'm doing and just sort of think that I'm in my own world and ignore every, all the people around me and stuff. And I just try to play like is I'm the only one in the room. And if I focus and stuff, then, like, I'll just play great and I'll forget about everything and just focus and, like, be one as a music. And um, I always tell him to play it like he means it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So put yourself into it, mm -hmm. right? Put your emotions, make it your own. Um, and that's when you get the best result. Mm -hmm. And practice, 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 yeah. practice. Yeah. <laughs> Maria, the lessons that he's learning, will they be helpful to him in life as he grows up? Absolutely. And that's another reason why I think it's so important for children to play a musical instrument because it develops all sorts of things like perseverance and dedication and motivation it's it's really a great thing and like overcoming obstacles when you can't get something and you keep doing it over and over again until you get it and ultimately achieving something that you've worked really hard for and i think that that can be applied to just about anything in life really um and yeah and you love the violin i mean that makes perfect sense is it fun yes it's very fun uh Especially like learning new pieces that I haven't played before and uh, just playing like pieces that I just like making up my own pieces on the yeah. violin and just like yeah. playing it just for fun. Like it's, it's a very fun instrument and I do enjoy playing it. Some of the best bands in the world, past, present and, you know, you're our future. They have violins in their in the, within their ensemble and mm -hmm. violinists who just bring a whole another a whole different level to mm -hmm. what's going on. Tell me what you would like to do in the future. You know, you'll finish school, of course, and continue your studies. But musically speaking, what's your future? Um, well, I want to join an orchestra, so maybe the Toronto Symphony Orchestra or the National Orchestra, uh, and. I do want to continue with the violin when I grow up, but I also want to be an astronaut and <laughs> an engineer. So, 
uh, I've like I'm very excited to go into that. Have you ever thought about creating music through your violin that would be perfect to play in space or to play about space? Uh, no. Maybe something to think about yeah. as an astronaut. Yeah. You know, they're always looking for astronauts. Uh, what would you bring to that role, do you think, that, that others might not? Um, I would just try my best to just be, like, the best astronaut there is and... Uh, good coordination. Yeah, good coordination. <laughs> practice, practice, practice. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to give us a, another little sampling of your skill. You're 13 years old. You'll be playing at Carnegie Hall in June. We're so proud of you, and there's so much more to come, and I know that about you, Lincoln, just from meeting you for a very short time, and Maria, your inspiration, Lincoln. What are you playing us out on the feed? What will you play for us as your finale? Um, so I'm going to be playing Bach, Partita number three, uh, in E major, Gavotte en Rondo. Sounds good to me. I want to thank you, Maria Haggard, and, of course, Lincoln Haggard-Ives. And thank you for joining us on the feed, and we'll be thinking of you in June at Carnegie Hall. Thank you. Listening to the feed on 1059 The Region, I'm Ann Romer. Our music coordinator, Christina Lavecchia, is next with the Juno nominated band Girl Power. We all are strong people, working hard every day and night, trying to make the world peaceful. And we won't give up without a fight We're gonna help those who are in need Yes, we believe they can succeed Overcoming obstacles every day You'll be okay, you'll guide the way Don't matter, big or small, we're gonna do it all That's who we are I'm with Karina Bianchini and Calista Wilson, who are two six of the 2020 Juno-nominated pop rock group Girl Power. Congratulations, girls. Thank you. Thank you. Karina's from Markham and Calista's from Oshawa. You're nominated for Children's Album of the Year, This Is Us. So how does it feel to be nominated? It feels amazing because everyone in the group has been watching the Junos growing up, and it's awesome to have Alessia Cara as the host this year because we really look up to her. Yeah. And then where yeah. were you guys when you found out about your nomination? So we were in the CBC studios and one of their... Uh, television studios so it was broadcasted live um, across the whole nation and we were looking at this big screen that had all the nominations on it with a stage in front of it and Alessia Cara was speaking and telling us all the nominations and all that it was very cool and when we heard our name we started jumping up and down screaming going crazy basically yeah your emotions must have been really high like yeah. heart beating really fast and then the excitement of of hearing your name right yeah mm -hmm. 
from what I understand, you girls made history, as this is the first time that young people have been nominated for a Juno in the Children's Album of the Year category. So how does it feel to be able to represent your generation in the category rather than, you know, adults who have created music for children? It's awesome to be a Juno nominee as young as we are. I honestly never would have thought it would happen, especially like at this age because I'm only 17. But it makes sense at the same time because we have been working really hard for three years now, um, not just on songwriting for the album, but also on singing and uh, choreography and on instruments and everything like that. So I think that we have worked very hard and we deserve it. Although you girls are so young, the ages range between 11 and 17, and I admire that you are really aware of social issues that are happening not only here in Canada, but across the world. Your song, Chrissy, addresses bullying, and your other song, This Is Us, shining a light on equality and mental health. What other social issues do you girls address, and why is it so important to you? So every single one of us has a social cause, which is when we try to shine light on issues in this world that we want to change for future generations. So, for example, my social cause is children's health and children's hospitals. And Karina's social cause is give peace a chance. And what we've done so far is we did the Akutamitara yeah. Cafe, what want to speak yeah, about that? It was a vision youth event that was actually created by my friend. So I thought that it would be a good opportunity for Girl Power to perform. So when she reached out, I was like, yes, of course. Um, it was in Markham. So yeah, it was called the Hakuna Matata Coffee House. And basically it was created for students who were stressed out during exam season. So we went there and we played our set for them and made them feel relaxed in a time of like worry. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like a good time for them to just chill and listen to music. It was fun. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. To check out Girl Power's music video for their latest single, This Is Us, you can head on over to york24-7.com. And if listeners want to connect with you online, where can they find you? We are all over social media, and we have a website, uh, www.girl-pow-r.com. And we have all of our names is on it, all of our information, and our social media handles are girl underscore P-O-W underscore R. And that's Facebook, Instagram, and all yeah. that. Awesome. Is the group flying to Saskatoon for uh, the Junos? Yes, we are flying to Saskatoon. And for me, personally, I'm really excited because I've never been there. But I know it's going to be really cold, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, got to dress warm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and at the nomination gathering, I saw from some of your Instagram uh, photos that you already met Alessia Cara. Yes. And you already met fellow nominees Elijah Woods ex Jamie Fine. Who else are you looking forward to meeting? I'm very excited to meet Tory Lanez. I really love his music. I always have. And it's going to be so cool to meet him. Also, Lennon Stella is performing. Mm, yes. And I know like a lot of us in the group like her music too. So if we can meet her, see her there yeah. at some point, that would be cool. Get your speeches ready because we're all rooting for you here at 105.9 The Region and I'm sure a lot of people around Canada as well. And good luck. And you guys will do great. Thank you. And the 2020 Juno Awards are on March 15th. Karina, Callista, thank you so much for coming by the studio. And did you want to take us out with uh, one of your songs from your nominated album, This Is Us? Sure, sure. We'll do Never Let Go. One, two, three, four. Bring me down, bring me down, it means nothing. Can't you see, just see that it's hurting. I don't want to be them. To my own drum beating Yeah, I tried, yeah, I tried to be someone That I'm not, that I'm not, yeah, I'm so done I don't wanna be them To my own drum beating
I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including the new chapter of Jack.org in Woodbridge. Tina Cortez with that story. Sadia Fasilar joins us next on The Feed, and she is from Jack.org. Sadia, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about Jack.org? Yes, Jack.org is Canada's leading youth mental health charity, working towards empowering youth to make change for mental health all over Canada. And can you tell us a little bit about the local chapter and why you decided to get involved? Yes, so a part of Jack.org's programs is called their chapters, and it's where groups of youth come together to make change, usually in their school. But we decided to start Jack.org's very first community chapter, all about making change here in Woodbridge. And is this primarily geared for elementary school children or high school students? Who is it for? We are open to any youth age 16 to 24. And why exactly did you decide to get involved in something like this? It was years of my own struggling with my mental health and not knowing who to go to and not feeling welcome in my own spaces. So especially in my community, I didn't feel like I had anyone or anywhere to go. And can you tell us a little bit about then your own personal struggles? What did that look like for you and and how are you doing now? My own personal struggles probably started major in grade um, grade nine. And from then, I was just very, I felt very alone and I felt like I had no one to go to because of the stigma around mental health, especially here in Woodbridge. It was a lot of stigmatizing phrases and words that made me feel like I couldn't talk about my own mental health. And things started to change when I was invited to a conference in the York Region School Board, and my eyes opened to mental health and what mental health is and why we should be taking care of it. So ever since then, I've been doing these projects like Jack.org. I made change in my school, and I've been working towards making change in my own personal life, and I'm doing so much better. And you're a, you know, you're a third-year university student uh, in the city of Toronto. How are you doing now? I'm doing so much better. I found resources that work for me. I found online resources. I've started going to talk to my friends and family because I know that how much they care about my own mental health and me and how they want to see me succeed. Now, I, I know it's only been a few years since you've been in grade 10. Have you noticed a, a change in myself or in the community? Maybe in both. Um, I think I've seen people become more willing to talk about mental health. It used to be something that we were all scared and nervous and we just didn't approach it. But now it's something that we're willing to just sit down and say, hey, let's have a conversation about it. And in myself, I found myself so much more willing to go out there and start those conversations because I used to be scared to do so. But now it's, I'll go up to anybody and I'll say, hey, let's talk about mental health. And can you tell us a little bit about how did your mental health struggles manifest themselves for you? How were they obvious? Did you just, uh, you know, hide yourself away from the rest of the world and, and go into your room? Or what did you do? I mean, that looks different for everybody, which is so important to note, because I thought that with struggling was just one thing. But for me, it was not understanding my emotions any longer. And I would be sad or happy or angry, but I couldn't tell because I just felt like I was one blank emotion. And it was so much, it was becoming a lot more obvious to me when I would start to shut people out and I became snappy. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything anymore. All I wanted to do was sleep all day. That's when it became really obvious for me. 
And how did you get out of that? It was a lot of family support and friend support and having those open conversations and just saying, hey, I think I'm not doing well and I don't know what to do. That's a little bit later on, but it definitely started with my mom coming up to me and saying there is something wrong and you you need to tell me. And were you open to talking to her about it? At first, no, um, because I was scared. I was scared of judgment and not looking strong. But after a while, I knew... I knew it was something I would have to talk to talk to her about because it was just getting a little bit too hard. Good for you for doing that. How did you find Thank you. how did you find jack.org? So Jack.org came to speak at my high school actually in grade 12 and they did their their talk which is a 45 minute talk all about mental health and youth mental health and how we can support each other and ourselves and I just I fell in love with them. I fell in love with the speakers and the organization. And as soon as the talk was done, I found myself emailing them immediately, asking how I can be involved. Now, you and a few of your friends have decided, have decided to start this chapter in Woodbridge. Do you have yes. events coming up, and how can people get involved? So, we have our very first event coming up, actually, on March 10th. We are having a community social night where people can come to Spin Dessert Cafe on Weston and Highway 7 and just talk to people in the community. A big goal of ours is to connect people and to make more real conversations and connections. And we just want people to come and meet each other. So that's March 10th at Spin Dessert Cafe, and you'll also be able to meet the team behind Jack the Dorg Woodbridge. And tell us a little bit about how that event is going to go. When people walk into that space, what will they see? What will they feel? What would it be like? Yeah, so if anyone's been to Spin Dessert Cafe, it'll really just be the cafe, and we'll have probably some decorations up. We'll have a Jack the Dorg table up where you can come and talk to us, and throughout the night while you're eating your desserts, we'll come up, have conversations, and um, we'll just come and join you for a little bit. Sadia, thank you for sharing your story with us. If our listeners want more information about jack.org and the event coming up in Woodbridge, where can they connect? So on Instagram and Facebook, we are just jack.woodbridge. Sorry, we are jack.org Woodbridge. Um, no dot. It's actually spelled J-A-C-K-D-O-T-O-R-G at Woodbridge, so jack.org Woodbridge, on Instagram and Facebook. But if you just would like to connect with jack.org, it's just jack.org on all socials. That's terrific. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We continue our conversation about mental health with details about a new group in York Region that brings women together to talk about postpartum depression and anxiety. Afua Ba with the Real Housewives of York Region. Becoming a mother, it is considered a huge blessing, but there are also silent challenges that motherhood can bring that women end up enduring alone. Courtney Gideon, she's the founder of Real Housewife of York Region. She hopes to change that one step at a time with weekly mental health walks aimed at helping women at various stages of motherhood. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure, and uh, I love the initiative that you've just started. Um, but let's help the listeners know, before we get into the talk about the uh, weekly mental health walks, talk to me about your personal journey leading up to this place. Sure. Okay, so I had my daughter about two and a half years ago, and like you said, it's an absolute blessing, and I feel 
so lucky to have her and she's an angel child and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, still becoming a mom is, is challenging and it's a huge transition. Um, I was working in the corporate world before, so very active with, you know, other people and meetings and all that sort of stuff. So it was, a, it was a big change, but, um, one that I was happy to, uh, to be able to, to have. Um, that being said, I did experience, um, what's called postpartum anxiety. So I'd heard of postpartum depression before, and I, I didn't suffer from that, but what I did have was some pretty intense anxiety, and uh, I thought maybe that was just part and parcel of becoming a new mom. Um, but, uh, you know, then I, I actually found a girlfriend of mine who was going through the same thing, um, and it was a relief to hear that she was going through some of the intense anxiety that I was experiencing as well. Um, I had maybe had a little bit of anxiety before I had my daughter, but um, nothing, nothing like I had experienced after she came around. <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, I decided not to go back to my corporate job. I was lucky enough to be able to stay home with her. But you know, working from home um, and being at home with your children is is another challenge as well. And what I have found. Um, and it doesn't have to just be the women who are home in the beginning with their babies. It tends to even extend into once the kids have gone to university. You know, it's those women who are primarily at home, um, and they can suffer from loneliness and um, isolation. And so, you know, I just thought, this, this I can't be the only one going through this. And it motivated me because I do get out and I like to walk, and I always feel better after I walk. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start a walking group for mental health and for women like myself who are home, either taking care of their kids or maybe they work from home or maybe they've moved to the area and they don't know a lot of people and they're primarily at home. But I just thought I can't be the only one and I wanted to um, try to connect some of the women in my community with my walks. Well, let me first off then for say thank you for taking that courage and starting up the mental health walk. Um, of course, for other mothers, it it might not seem like such a big thing, but I think it is a huge step considering topics like this, especially when you get into motherhood. Uh, it seems like it's it's very quiet and it's almost taboo to talk about the struggles that you go through um, during motherhood. When did you realize that you couldn't maybe handle this on your own? I know you touched a little bit upon when your friend sort of opened up to you. You know, and it's funny because I, I didn't, being a new mom, I mean, I didn't necessarily know. I just kind of thought, well, maybe this is just these worryings and, like, worrying about everything and, and not being able to sleep. And, you know, maybe this is just what a new mother experiences. But um, there were other times where, you know, I would really, really have bouts of, this isn't normal. I know this isn't normal, but you can't necessarily talk yourself out of it, right? I wish it was that easy. So I'm involved in theater as well, like just some community theater. And it was a girlfriend that I had met through that theater group. And she was a fairly new mom as well. We started to talk and uh, it we just, I guess we both felt safe opening up to each other about it. And uh, we learned that we were both going through this kind of intense anxiety. And she had actually gone to the doctor and, and, and was prescribed medication and everything like that. But just having 
her and and talking about it with her made me feel less crazy and actually just helped calm me down, believe it or not, just by finding out that someone else was going through the same thing. Why do you maybe find, in, in your opinion, the stigma on mothers speaking up? I know you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, going through the stages of mother, motherhood for the first time, you're thinking, oh, maybe all mothers go through this. And you're, I think you're, we're touching on something that maybe isn't talked about in general is that mothers absorb a lot having a child is such a huge responsibility and you absorb so much that sort of the the part of speaking up when you know something isn't going right within yourself it almost gets brushed aside i think we do that as as women um we 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 think we can take it all on we try to be the super woman the the hero in everything and um that's where you really have to take that time for self-care like the self-care part which I've learned to do, um, it doesn't, you feel guilty about it in the beginning, but once you start to be able to take care of yourself a little bit more, you become a better mom, you become a better wife, you become a better friend. If you can just give yourself even like 15 minutes a day to whatever it is, have a tea in, in peace and quiet or do whatever you can do, go for that walk. Taking care of your mental health when you're, especially a new mom, because there's a lot of hormones going on as well and everything like that. It's, so important and that's the part that people didn't talk to me about when I was expecting. They were talking to me about the physical and all of those challenges that would come along but nobody really spoke about the mental health part of it and that's something that I want to try to change as well. Talk to me about how long I, I mean the walks have been have been going on and apart from the walking of course uh, which is a great way to sort of get out there and just get fresh air and just feel better. What else do you do during these walks? Um, so our walks, they leave from a, a place called Ray 20 Center, which is in Newmarket. Um, I'm a resident of Newmarket, so it's not too far from me. So we leave at 945 on Thursday mornings. It's every Thursday morning, uh, rain or snow or <laughs> hopefully sunshine soon. But we go for about 45 minutes to an hour. And it's so funny because even if the weather isn't great, we get chatting and we just... And it, it just kind of lose, we lose track of time. So I really love that. We get to connect with each other and just be together and all that sort of stuff. So the, it's only been um, two walks that we've had so far. So it's still relative, relatively new, but I'm really excited for where it's going to go. I know people sometimes don't come out necessarily because of the, the weather, but especially for people who suffer with depression and anxiety or any sort of mood disorders, Getting out, just bundle up and getting out, you will feel so much better and you'll feel glad that you did afterwards. And other than that, you know, I'm, I'm organizing other events. You know, another part that I battle with my Real Housewife of York Region initiative is loneliness um, and social isolation, which is a big, actually a big problem. One in five Canadians will admit that they feel lonely. And so uh, what I'm trying to do is connect people, create more of a community through my Real Housewife of York Region. And so, you know, I'm um, arranging nights to the theater and I want to start arranging maybe like a candle making classes and just different, different things for women to come out and, you know, build a little bit more of a community where they can come out and, and enjoy themselves. I love that. And I, I love that you're sort of putting yourself out there to also help others out. Um, loneliness is definitely one of the major things that I think a lot of Canadians uh, deal with, but they don't necessarily uh, say explicitly. And I love also the touch yeah. or the play on words in terms of the real housewife of York region. I know it's so synonymous with reality <laughs> TV, but you're sort of um, taking it, taking that sort of title back <laughs> into its roots, if you will, and really making it about real life. 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I, I like the title. I think it's fun. I mean, people, when they hear it, might get uh, their nose out of joint a little bit. I don't know. But really, it's about women. It's about women in all stages of life, not just new moms. It's women who, you know, I have people in my walking group who are in their 60s, and they are lonely because their husbands are still working and their kids are off. And, you know, loneliness has negative effects, of course, on your mental health. But what people don't realize is the physical effects it has on your, on your, on your health. And so, you know, I'm just I'm trying to, to battle that. And as you said, like there's a lot of stigmas, but people don't like to admit that they're lonely because they feel like they're unwanted or that people don't want to be with them. That's not the case. It's just, you know, sometimes the way your life is set up and friends maybe aren't, aren't close by or anything like that. And loneliness and social isolation can, can lead to so many different issues, mental and physical. Definitely. I can definitely agree with you there. Okay, for folks that uh, want more information, uh, just once again, when and where do these walks happen? Um, and then how can they connect with you? Our walks happen every Thursday morning. They leave at 9.45 a.m. from the front doors of the Ray Twinney Center, and that's in Newmarket. Um, and we walk for about an hour max, no more than that. I'm primarily active on Instagram, um, and I post videos and a whole bunch of stories and everything that I'm up to on there. So my Instagram is at Real Housewife of York Region. You can also email me if you wanted to get in touch, and it's just Real Housewife of York Region at gmail.com. And I also have a Facebook as well. Those are the, the three primary ways that uh, people can get in touch. Courtney, thank you so much. Uh, I loved having this chat with you. And, of course, just continue with these great walks that are, are happening weekly. And I have a feeling that it's not just going to be just a few people here and there. It's going to be one large sort of fill-up of the sidewalk for these walks every week. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Take care. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for a replay. Forty-two heartbeats have just arrived at the Georgian Triangle Humane Society in Collingwood. Sonia Reichel, executive director of GTHS, is joining us on The Feed to talk about how this happened and what is next. Sonia, thank you, and thank you for the fine work that you and everyone at Georgian Triangle Humane Society is doing. How did this happen? It happened through an immense amount of collaboration, uh, communication, and networking. Uh, our organization uh, has a phenomenal volunteer. Uh, her name is Pam. She is our canine outreach coordinator, and she has worked uh, diligently with um, several organizations up in northern communities. The primary one that was behind um, the, the transfer of animals down uh, yesterday was the Northern Reach Rescue Network. And they, they work with these communities um, and help to facilitate uh, the, the transfer of animals down that, that needed, um, the, needed that next step. Let's talk about what you really mean by that. What is the situation for animals in some northern communities? And I guess we're talking mostly about dogs. How are they regarded? How are they treated? 
they're they're treated same as as they're treated down here with with love as members of the family. The reality is up in our northern communities there is a serious lack of resources, so that um, uh, oftentimes uh, you know food buying pet food for your pet uh, here is is something that you you do without thinking. You go to the pet store and the the food is reasonably priced, but up in our northern communities um, uh, often you have to drive uh, for long periods of time. Gas is that much more expensive. Pet food is that much more expensive. And, and heaven forbid, if, if something of an emergency nature might happen with your pet, um, I've heard stories of folks that have to drive upwards of four or five hours in order to actually get to a veterinary clinic. So so, um, so those are some of the realities that are faced on a, on a day-to-day basis, and that means, uh, uh, combined with harsh conditions, um, that there um, will be oftentimes animals that will um, uh, benefit from from being brought down to communities where we are so fortunate to have a strong support from our donors and from adopters that are looking to bring pets into their families. It's my understanding that 42, that's the largest number at one time that you've ever had come into the shelter. What's the condition of the animals right now? They are uh, warm and loved, and they're in their foster homes, uh, some of which are, are actually here at our animal center. You're absolutely right. 42 is just a mind-boggling number. We're so grateful um, to the fact that we now have a, a hospital within our, our animal center. So um, not only were we able to triage the animals when they first arrived, and, and they were haggard. I mean, that was a really long journey uh, for them to go through, um, and uh, they, we had both dogs and cats in the same vehicle, so you can naturally understand how that can be stressful. Um, we had, um, so as they came in, we were able to triage them. We were able to get them the care that they needed. Uh, and then we had an outpouring from our foster home. So that night they spent um, in new homes, admittedly. It must have been a bit, little bit strange, but uh, they were surrounded by loving people and um, all the things that they needed to settle in nicely. What would have happened had you not come to the rescue? And I mean that as a great big you, all of the people who have put this together, what would have happened to the animals well what we know is that um, it, you know that you're right the great big you a, a collaborative network of, uh, of so many different individuals donors and volunteers um, and and sometimes uh, we do see the reality of, of us not being there at the time that we would want to. Uh, I remember a story from last year uh, when a litter of puppies were found on the side of the road um, and being exposed to, as you can imagine, the conditions that they were exposed to by the time we ended up getting the litter of puppies that we had agreed to, only one, unfortunately, was remaining um, due to exposure to the elements. How are you managing all of this. I know the shelter. I've seen it. It's one of the finest in Canada. It's not large. Uh, How are you managing all of the activity that's going on and also the cost of vetting, veterinarian care and and food? I mean, things as simple as uh, kibble and wet food for the animals. Yeah. Well, we start with communication, communication, communication. Um, it, you know, right from the very beginning when a project like this gets off the ground, uh, we need to get together as a team and that's comprised of staff members and volunteers and talk about what exactly it's going to take for us to, to receive these animals properly and to ensure that, um, we are as efficient and organized as we need to be, uh, to work with our donors to, um, communicate these stories and to, uh, inspire them to continue to, to 
support our our mission and, and the work that's that's taking place here. Um, so it's it's just it's just ongoing and uh, and and you know something that we work away at every single day. You had to order hundreds of dollars worth of kitten supplies. Were there cats involved? Kittens involved in this rescue operation? <laughs> yeah, well, you know that's the thing about these transfers is um, it's it, uh, you can it's very difficult to create a, a solid plan because they are continually evolving. That's just the nature of this type of work. Um, we didn't realize we were going to be taking in as many cats and kittens as as did end up arriving. But um, when we arrived at our transport or our pickup location, the request was made. Uh, a call back to the animal center took place to ensure that we had the resources here to accommodate those cats and kittens. And of course, we just mobilized on our end. Uh, why we had to go out and buy those supplies is because um, anyone who's in this industry knows at the end of February, it's typically not kitten season. Uh, we didn't have anything here in the center. Um, so we, we, we got out to, I, I forget exactly where we ended up purchasing them from, but um, we're now fully stocked and ready. And, uh, and so our foster homes were able to have what they needed for those uh, kittens. And, and again, you know, it comes right back to uh, donors stepping up and, and saying, we're going to support uh, this worthy effort. Hash Brown, I'm looking at a photograph of oh, Hash yeah. Brown, and it will certainly be available to all of our listeners as well. Hash Brown got caught in a snare, suffered a terrible injury to his leg. What happened, and, and how does something like that happen? Well, um, it, you know, it happens uh, um, simply because uh, he was, I would imagine, I'm going to take a guess, he was running around out in the woods and, it, and he got caught. Um, it's a terrible wound when these things do happen. And uh, as I, you know, mentioned before, um, in getting to a veterinarian is often an insurmountable task. Um, so the folks at the Northern Reach Rescue Network um, reached out. They spoke to the family. Uh, the family made a, a very difficult decision to turn over hash Brown and and trust that he was going to be going to receive the care that he needed, um, and that's where his journey began. Um, he received veterinary care up in uh, the north, and then began his journey. And by the time he arrived to us, that's why he really stood out for me. I, you know, you could tell uh, it had been uh, quite a load for him to bear. He was in pain. He had you know had been in a crate for a long period of time, but through it all, um, uh, he was uh, he, he was still um, there was still hope in him and he was still uh, he was still putting a lot of um, uh, fight into his journey if you will for lack of a better word uh, our team was able to help him uh, we were able to rebandage him and now he's recovering in our in our one of our back kennels there uh, and we have booked his surgery for tomorrow so that's going to be the next leg of his journey and mm. um, and we're looking forward to supporting him that way I want to take you back to the source of all of this There's some of the northern communities is there the uh, opportunity for animals to be spayed or neutered. Uh, how does one deal with that oh, perhaps overpopulation of animals that can lead to real problems? Well, that's a really good question. That's where all of this stems from. And as a, uh, an organization that believes so strongly in um, spaying, neutering as a, as a form of, um, uh, re, you know, uh, animal welfare and, and population control, we really believe that um, our job is not just to uh, receive animals and put them up for adoption, but talk about long-term solutions. And um, and as such, uh, you know, we're we're putting our thinking caps on to see what we can do. 
in support of our other partners to get up to these northern communities and start increasing the access to service because the reality is is access is very, very limited. Uh, these communities are um, widely sp- spread apart from a geographic perspective. And uh, like I said, oftentimes you're driving long distances just to get food for yourself. So so definitely uh, Spain Eater Services is not top on the, hot, on the priority list of needs. Um, and uh, one of our commitments is to do what we can to increase access uh, to Spain Eater Services and, and be part of that long-term solution. Uh, so that's a conversation that definitely we'll be having. Our listeners are an animal-loving bunch, as we all are here at 105.9 The Region, and you're just a stone's Yay. throw up the 400 to Collingwood. How can people find out more information about donating or about adopting from GTHS? Yeah, so the best place to start is gths.ca. Um, or as you said, we're, we're just up the road. So come on down and visit us. We're a great four season location up here. Uh, so you can, you know, ski on the slopes and then come to our animal center in the afternoon. We're open every single day from 12 until 4, uh, as well as Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we'd love to give you a tour of our uh, organization and introduce you to some of the adoptable animals. And we would be very, very grateful to receive a donation so that we can continue the work that we're doing. Sonia Reichel, Executive Director, George and Triangle Humane Society, and all of your team and volunteers, thank you for saving another 42 lives as you just did. Thank you so much for having us. And if you want to see pictures of adorable Hash Brown and other rescues, go to our Twitter feed at 1059 The Region. And that's a wrap for us. That's our show for this week. If you have a story idea or a community event to share, head to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.